Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So not that long ago that the Phoenix Suns had gone 11-2 and in their last 13 playoff games. I mean, they were rolling, right? And then they rolled to a 2-0 lead in the finals. So they were 13-2 in their last 15 playoff games. So we're not even talking about the finals at that point. We're talking about a coronation. The Suns in four chants were echoing throughout the valley. The Suns in four guy was signing merch. The question most people were asking was, would Milwaukee at least find a way to squeeze out a win? I mean, just get a win for some pride, some dignity before Phoenix runs them out of the gym. I mean, show up. You can't get swept. Not when you are arguably the team to beat. So would they at least extend this thing and at least get a game? And the answer was, is yes. They could win one game. Then they could win another. And then another. Next thing you know, they've got a 3-2 lead heading back to Milwaukee. And it's not just that they've done it. It's how they've done it. With some swag. With some authority. With this block in game four. Now Booker with Tucker on him. Throws it up for eight. Shot blocked by Antetokounmpo. What a block from Giannis. I still get hyped seeing that. And I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't care. I don't care who wins. I just don't. But I still get hyped even in this moment. Listening to that and watching that. And... How do you not get hyped? How do you not get hyped when you see a big man recover the way he did and make that play? I mean, hell, when I see that, I get hyped. And when I get hyped, I take my shirt off. I take it off. I can't hear you, Notre Dame. Shout out to Troy Nicholas. What's up, legend? Anyway, that was a legendary block. And if you think that I'm just looking for reasons to play that soundbite, you're right. What up, legend? So, a legendary block. And I didn't think, I didn't think that there would be another play in this series. Hell, in the next year or the next five years, they would come close to that. But then the Bucs come up with another absurd moment late in game five, Saturday night. Milwaukee was up by 10 with three minutes to go, but Phoenix goes on a run. Giannis missed a pair of free throws with 69 seconds left. They seemed to be unraveling. It looked like they were ripping apart. Still up by one with just over 30 seconds to go, and they had to fire off a shot before the shot clock expired. But that's when the hell breaks loose. Tied series, nearly tied game. Home team has the ball. Go ahead, Alvy, roll it. Booker driving. Chicken wings again. In the lane. Holiday rips it away. 16 seconds to go to Giannis. Slam it. How about that? It's Drew Holiday with the steal. Taking it away from Booker. Box radio. I mean, holy crap. What a sequence that was. There was so much to unpack from that. You've got Drew coming in with the perfect rip of Devin Booker, just ripping it right out of his hands. Then he goes down the floor, but he's looking to spin clock, right? And he's waiting to get fouled. That's the smart play in that moment. The smart play is spin clock, get fouled, grind the out clock. the win, get the hell out. But that's not what the Bucks did because Giannis, who had already played more than 40 minutes, again, somehow had something left in the tank. The big dog is still out here running the floor, calling for the lob, which despite what you may think, was not the best idea. I mean, you think it's easy, but it's not. Not at that point in the game. That's just not the best idea. Like, what if they don't connect? What if Giannis doesn't get up high enough? Well, that was not going to be an issue, obviously, but what if they don't connect? What if the timing is off? What if they give the ball right back to the Suns, right? What if... Or what if they do this? The drive gets inside, leans in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has the foul, and a ball throws it down. And a foul. Giannis on the alley oop. What a turnaround. A chance to take the lead and the turnover. As the Bucks now up by three and a free throw coming I mean, that's, that's what's the word I'm looking for. That's, I don't know, balls. I mean, I'm not sure what's more insane. Giannis calling for it 
or Drew actually following through with it. We're talking about him throwing up a lob on the break, up one on the road in a tied series with 15 seconds to go, but it worked. It worked. Giannis, after playing 40 minutes on that bad leg, going up and throwing it down. He took off on a leg that they thought had shredded in ACL only a few weeks back. And then he comes down with the biggest dunk in Bucks history. So, exactly what was the big dog thinking in that moment when he called for that lob, even though Drew holding up would have been the better play? I got to know, what was this guy thinking? Great question. But if you're looking for a great answer, you're not going to get it. He admits he's as confused as the rest of us. I don't know. <laughs> you, you know, I, I was so in the moment. You know, I wasn't worried about the clock. I wasn't worried about the crowd. I wasn't worried about nothing. I was worried about I had the open lane, you know, throw it up. And he trusted me. Now, if we put it all down now, there was like, what, 20 seconds on the clock? Yeah, Drew, if you put it all down and you go, you know, traditionally, yeah, pull it back out, give the ball to Chris, let's run a high pick and roll, and probably they're going to follow him. You know, he's going to go to the free throw line. But, I was, you know, sometimes when you're so much in the moment, you, you just react. I don't know, man. There's something about this dude, right? There's something about this dude. I, I never thought that I would say this about a two-time MVP. I think that I like listening to him speak more than I like watching him play. I mean, how do you not love this dude in a presser? He's not claiming that he had a plan all along or that he was thinking that he might catch Phoenix off guard or might surprise them or that he wanted to finish. He's admitting, I, I don't know. I don't really know what I was doing. I'm as surprised as the rest of you. This guy's just dropping gems uh, at every single press conference that he shows up at. There was his explanation, of course, about having to leave game four early. Remember? What the hell you guys say politely? I want to take a, a tinkle. A, a tinkle? Yeah, yeah. I went to take a tinkle and came back. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, that's polite, right? Tinkle is polite, yeah. yeah. It's very polite, Giannis. Both games. I went to take a tinkle and went back. Very polite. Not, I had to take a leak. Not, I had to take a, anyway. Not, uh, I had to drain the uh, weasel. Not, uh, not anything. Just a tinkle. And then my man likes to get philosophical with it. How about that philosophical approach about how he responded to the block in game four? Let's talk a little philosophy, big dog. I'll say life. Usually when, uh, from my experience, right, like when I think about like, oh, yeah, I'm, I did this, you know, I'm so great. I had uh, 30, I had 25, 10 and 10 or whatever the case might be, because you're going to think about that. Oh, we want this, that. Usually the next day you're going to suck, you know, uh, simple as that. You Like the next few days you're going to be terrible. And uh, I figured out like a mindset to have that, like when you focus on the past, that's your ego. I did this. You know, um, we were able to beat this team for all. We, we did. The, I did this in the past. I won that in the past. Mm. And when I focus in the future, it's my pride. Like, yeah, next game, game five, I do this and this and this. Right. You know, I'm going down. That's your pride talking. Like, you, it doesn't happen. Like, you're right here. I kind of, like, try to focus in the, you know, in the moment, in the present. And that's humility. That's being humble. That's not setting no expectation. That's going out there and enjoying the game, competing at a high level. And uh, I think I've had people throughout my life that helped me with that. But that's a skill that I've tried to, like, perfect it. And uh, it's been working so far. So I'm, I'm not going to stop. Hey, Cicero, tell me how my ass tastes. Aristotle, you too. I mean, forget. Hey, Socrates, have some. I mean, forget being one of the greatest basketball players on the planet. This guy really is one of the great interviews on the planet. And more importantly, one of the great philosophers of all time. This dude's 26, and he's dropping knowledge like that. That's as crazy as that block and that dunk. Concepts that this guy's talking about. Ego, pride, humility, staying in the present. Man, my man Ryan Holiday is taking notes. Are you, Giannis, are you kidding me? Usually it would take you a lifetime to learn and master the types of things that he's just dropping and spitting at the press conference. And this guy's just tossing off that knowledge in an off-day presser during the finals. Man, you would ordinarily pay thousands of dollars to go to a seminar and hear that kind of wisdom. And my man's out here giving it away for free. 
And yes, he's not the first halfway to talk about the importance of staying in the moment. But normally that comes in the form of cliches. You know, taking it one day at a time, sticking to the process, trust the process. And that's not a shot of Joel. I love Joel, man. Joel's still my guy. I'm just talking about this guy is taking all of that and tying it into ego and pride and going deeper and doing it in the middle of the finals. I repeat, the middle of the finals. The stakes could not be bigger. And my man is just real comfortable. I mean, it would be so much easier to just sit up here like Rasheed Wallace and just say, both teams played hard. My man, both teams played hard. Both teams teams played hard. Both teams played hard. Both teams played hard. God bless and good night. Not Giannis, man. He's dropping wisdom, giving everybody credit. Listen, this is a Bucs team, all right? That have been counted out so many times in these playoffs alone. People were talking about what changes would have to be made to the roster. People were practically running Mike Budenholzer out of town on a rail. Like, this guy was fired before the finals were even over. Some went as far as to say that Giannis wasn't even a superstar. That Giannis was a complimentary star, a supporting star, not even the most important guy on their own team. I mean, how stupid was that take? I mean, how bad does that look right about now? Listen, here's the thing. If you're a betting person and you want value, there is still value in Phoenix. You can go find it right now. Phoenix is in a bad spot down three games to two. But if you still believe in them and you still trust them and you want value, you could pick them up right now for like plus 315, plus 320. I'm not saying this series is over. Phoenix, well, it should be. Man, they've had opportunities. And if they don't come back, they'll be kicking themselves forever. Except they are tough as hell. I'm not going to write them off yet. They're not going down without throwing a few punches. But the fact that Milwaukee is in the driver's seat is remarkable. And if they finish this off, Man, that is one of the all-time great comebacks. I'm not saying they're coming back from down three games to none, but they were down two games to none. And they look dead in the water. They look dead on arrival. Yet here we are. Here the bleep we are. So put some respect on them. Because there were a lot of people doing a lot of disrespecting of them. So recently I was trying to figure out what to give my wife Janet as a gift. You have to understand she wants nothing. Ever, 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 ever. Wants nothing, needs nothing ever so she's impossible to shop for but then i discovered paintyourlife.com because the thing that is most important to her is family and it's hard to get family together all at once we have a son in college now everybody's going different directions but i want to find a way to bring us all together safely so when i heard that we could do that at paintyourlife.com i thought man that is an amazing idea it must be expensive though but it's not these are paintings that are truly affordable, and the quality is absolutely amazing. What I'm talking about here is a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. And it's a quick and easy process. You can get a hand-painted portrait in about three weeks. I'm telling you, then you get it, and you're absolutely blown away by it. And for me and my family, you literally cannot put a price tag on this. There is nothing, there's no store that I can walk into that would mean more to my wife than this. And at paintyourlife.com, there is no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word ROME, R-O-M-E, to 64000. That's ROME, R-O-M-E, to 64000. Again, text ROME to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Once again, text Rome to 64,000. Sam Amick. Sam, good to have you back. How are you? Oh, me doing good, brother. How are you? Good, good, Sam. Thanks so much. Hey, listen, before we talk game five, I want you, if you could, Sam, to take me back to earlier in the series. You had an accidental meeting with Giannis in the hotel. He had lost his hotel room key. What happened next? So pretty, pretty charming little exchange, if I'm being honest, in terms of humanizing him. And, and it was a, a very kind of real everyman moment. So I'm at the front desk trying to get a, a new room. Uh, and I hear a very familiar voice over my left shoulder. And it's Giannis. And he walks up to the front desk. And this is on the outskirts of Phoenix. And you know the area, Scottsdale out there. 
very nice hotel. And uh, Giannis comes up, and he says his alias name to the woman at the front desk and, uh, and, and is waiting for her to say, okay, but you're Giannis, and so here's your room key. Well, she asked for his identification as the alias, and he sits there and says, well, well he couldn't come up with the word alias. He was, that word was escaping him. And so he was confused. She was confused. Another employee jumped in and just kind of looked at the lady and said, no, this is, this is Giannis. Like, he'd give him his room key. So it was, you know, <laughs> it was pretty good. I loved how he handled it. I mean, he wasn't sitting there big-timing anybody. He, if anything, it was very much like the same guy you've been seeing in these press conferences where he's, he's very humble and, and uh, was just trying to find his way back into his room. Yeah, I was going to say, Sam, it's a great story in and of itself. I was going, not going to, I actually did say that I never thought that I would say this about a two-time MVP, but I like listening to this guy almost as much as I like watching this guy play. I mean, you're right. He's charming. He's really, really charming. Now, about a week ago, the Bucks were down 2-0 in the series. At that point, when they fell behind 2-0, what were you thinking about their chances after the first two games in Phoenix? They were, they were bleak, you know what I mean? I mean, I actually just got reminded uh, today of the history in terms of what the finals, you know, uh, tells us about going down 0-2. So uh, teams that, that did that are 4-31. and uh, You know, that's percentage-wise, obviously, extremely bleak. And just in terms of the mood, you know, you had Chris Paul dominating game one, Devin Booker finding his way in game two, and, uh, and you know, and, and looking like a squad that – you remember that, that one possession, I think, in game two where, Jim, they, they whipped that ball around, you know, 10, 11 times in one possession, and it just looked like the Bucks didn't have an answer. So – I thought for sure that you know we'd be kind of gearing up to to write, excuse me, write our uh, our championship stories on the Suns, but uh, but this thing has certainly turned. Sam Amick is joining us in terms of the turn. Like if we were to circle back, Sam, to that game four block, and I'll do that in a moment. But as you wrote for the Athletic, with 109 left in game five. Giannis had two free throws. Their lead had been cut to three. Then he missed the first one. Then Monty Williams called a timeout before the second one. And then Giannis missed the second one. What did you make of that moment? It was a lot. You know, I've been, listen, you, you mentioned Giannis and how much you've enjoyed him. I have just been absolutely loving the sports psychology part of this series and specifically with Giannis. So, I mean, that moment to me spoke to composure, um, you know, when, and Giannis has talked about this, when, the outcome and the results don't fall in your favor and not allowing it to change your mentality and change your competitiveness. And that to me, I mean, I hate to keep making this parallel. It's not the most comfortable for the other guy, but I mean, we have seen in these playoffs that Ben Simmons stopped attacking the rim when he got in his head about shooting and about the free throw line and Giannis's ability to just, you know, when the crowd is counting to 10 extremely loudly, when Monty is icing you, when Jay Crowder is legitimately bumping you as you walk to the free throw line, when Chris Paul, I think, was uh, kind of nudged him on the hip, they were clearly in that timeout. They had had conversations about, you know, let's let's mess with this guy, and so he misses those free throws. But then, as we saw soon thereafter, you know, he was still ready for that moment with Drew Holiday. We're talking to Sam Amick, and to that moment, Sam, and when you talk about his ability to continue to attack the basket no matter what happens. I mean, how about that? Drew comes up with that steal, and then the lob to Giannis. I mean, obviously the smart play there is to pull that ball back out, run the offense, spin some clock, get fouled. What did you make then of Giannis? And you started to touch on this, but what did you make of Giannis calling for the lob and then his explanation (laughs) of the thought process behind it? I thought it was great. I mean, he he was the first to admit that, yeah, 13 seconds, 15 seconds, up one, uh, you definitely pull it out. And, and he even said, he's like, you know, we probably throw it to Chris Middleton. He probably gets fouled. He probably hits the free throws. He's like, but we're on the break, and I, and, and I know what I can do. And so he calls for it. Uh, somebody, uh, our, our friend Jay Adande, I saw I tweeted yesterday an image where you can actually see Chris Middleton also pointing to the sky. And, and I don't think Drew saw him, but Chris was hoping that Drew would throw the lob. And they just, you know, they know, obviously – that there's one dude in the NBA who can go get a ball uh, like that, and Giannis is that guy. And, and it was the hammer, right? I mean, that was the, you know, lights out and, and Suns say goodbye in and, and game five, and it was dramatic. And, and I think, honestly, it's the kind of thing that even if the, the Bucks had won and, 
and played it conventionally. I, I feel like they got more momentum going into Game 6 because of that, and their spirit is incredibly high right now. I think that's a great point right there. Sam Amick is joining us, and I also agree with the point that if there's one guy who can go up and get it, it's that guy. But again, we're talking about a guy who's out there for 40 minutes who's been on a bad leg, a bad stick, right. and he still goes right. up and he gets it. I mean, even if Chris Middleton was pointing to this guy like throw the ball up, still... Sam, what's it say about Drew Holiday, for instance, that he made that play on the steal and he still trusted Giannis with that pass? I mean, Drew Holiday is Drew Holiday. He is a pro's pro, but he still has to throw that ball up. What's that play say about oh, him? Yeah. Well, my favorite, you know, the, the joys of technology, we have the, the NBA's phantom cam where they slow everything down. And it's like, my goodness, you can sit there and watch Drew's brain in motion. You know, it's like he sees Giannis on the break. You know, he, the thought bubble over his head, you know, it might as well be like, seriously, Giannis, like we're doing this, you know, <laughs> and, and then eventually he decides to, to go ahead and throw it. it. It speaks to trust, and both guys talk about trust a lot, and not to be dramatic, but in terms of the human side of their story, it's like they, Drew and Giannis, have only been together for this season, and, and Giannis wanted to have the Bucks go get him in the offseason for that trade, and it's obviously paying off now, and and Giannis told him after the game, you know, he went out of his way to tell Drew, thank you for trusting me. And, you know, that is the kind of stuff that I think championships are made of. Right. Sam Amick is joining us. Also, championships are made of plays like that block in game four. So, Sam, double back to that. When you've had some time to think about that for a moment. I mean, just how amazing a play in recovery was that by Giannis? Phenomenal. Uh, you know, it, it made my job easy for the night. It's always fun when you, you just – something is so obvious that it's like, all right, I'm literally just writing about that play. That's all I'm doing. You know, and, and we're going to ask every player what he saw, what he thought. And, and so that was kind of my evening. And it was, you know, again, very much like the lob. Giannis is probably the only guy who can complete that block. You know, Devin Booker is, is you know, kind of penetrating and needling in the lane like he does. And, uh, you know, and, and Giannis masterfully, essentially baits him into throwing the lob. And the remarkable part is that, you know, as one of my colleagues wrote, he covered the alley and the oop, which is not easy to do. You know, you compelled uh, Devin to throw the ball, and then you you basically said, gotcha, I'm going to be able to to, to be my Deion Sanders here and get back and and save this thing with Aiden. But, uh, you know, he had to turn. He had to perfectly get that hand in position to not hit Aiden's wrist. And uh, it's funny because, and you know this, in real time, when you're there in person, you, you don't always really catch the big moments. You almost have to look at the monitor and see it in slow-mo. That was one of those, just like the alley-oop, where on press row, where we typically pride ourselves in being very composed, you know, like you're sitting there grabbing the shoulder of the dude next to you or the woman next to you, like, oh, my Lord, like, what in the hell was that? And, and you know, both those plays just had us uh, just kind of had our, our heads spinning. Hey, Sam, guilty. I mean, guilty is charged. Like, I would say to you that I don't root, and I mean this, I don't root. I don't root for anybody or anything other than something to talk about. But I think you and I are right. both a little guilty of this. Like, we're kind of fawning over this guy, but because he's that great of a player and he's that great of a guy and he's that charming, and normally we don't do that. Now, what about the Suns? For instance, they're not in a good spot. Now, I'm not throwing dirt on them. I'm not going to write them off. I'm saying they're not in a good spot. I'm saying they've had a lot of opportunities. I'm saying that they're going to be haunted if they can't find a way to dig deep and come back, and it's a big ask at this point. If you're Monty Williams, what are you telling your guys before tomorrow night's game? I mean, a lot of it's going to be stuff they've heard before and his favorite saying, which is pretty powerful, that you know everything that, that is worth having is on the other side of hard. And, and he's been incredible from a motivational standpoint with their group all year long. I think for me, uh, and this is one of those moments as a reporter that I, I wish we had more access in the locker room right now. We don't. We, we just have these press conferences. But, you know, I would love to kind of read the body language and see the interactions between specifically Devin and Chris because I feel like basketball-wise, you know, they, they have probably needed to have a couple tough conversations over the course of the past day or so uh, as it relates to Devin being spectacular and I get it. He's, he's, you know, setting new marks for, for a player who's never been in the finals before from a scoring standpoint. But the identity of the Suns has been lost in the last couple of games. This is not what they want to be offensively. So even with Devin scoring 40-plus, uh, you know, Chris has obviously struggled, cannot seem to figure out how to handle the Drew Holiday pressure, 
which is not 94 feet, but it's probably like 75. I mean, he's picking up, you know, really early. So those two guys are the ones who, if they're going to pull this thing off, it's going to start with them. Uh, and, and I think we also got to remember, I mean, it, it's wild in, in these series how quickly things turn because this could happen. If they somehow find a way to, to get this game tomorrow night, then all of a sudden the pressure shifts and it's the Bucks who've got to go on the road and, and get the job done. Right. That's what I'm saying. I They're not in a good spot, but they're not done. They're not dead yet. You right. know, to, to your point, right. Sam, about you wish you could get closer so you could read the body language. What about, for instance, just the screenshot? Like, I... I'm not saying I'm laughing at these guys, but it was impossible for me not to laugh looking at that screenshot of the two of them together, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, when that reporter asked Devin Booker, how frustrated are you for Chris Paul? And the looks on these guys, like if you were to try to read their body language off that screenshot, what would you see? What would you read? You know, I did go back and watch that moment. I was in the Bucks press conference, so I didn't, I wasn't at that one in person. Um, my, my opinion of that moment I think as much as everybody on the Suns loves Chris to death, and I do think it's been an incredible fit, I just think there's probably some fatigue with the idea that it's all about him. And, it, and that's coming from the media, where, you know, you just lost a game. You just had the ball ripped out of your hands by Drew Holiday and had to watch the alley-oop, you know, and be on the wrong side of it. And now the focus of that question was right next to Chris, which makes it even more awkward, you know, how frustrated are you for him? It, it, I think the, the kind of the, the inference was like, yeah, you're all trying to win this title, but, but the real story is all about getting Chris over the NBA's mountaintop. And, and, and Devin obviously just wasn't in the mood to, to go down that road. Right. And why are you letting this guy down when this guy deserves it so much and he's done everything right. for you, right? You, well said. Right. <laughs> all right, so last night, it's easy to overstate things in the moment, but if the Bucs, and still enough, and if, if the Bucs end up winning this, given that they were trailing the Nets twice in the series and they started this series down 0-2, what would that say not just about the talent of this team but the mental toughness of this team, something that had previously been questioned? No, it's remarkable. I mean, you know, you, like every finals, every champion, you know, we got to be careful. Like, of course, you can sit here and play the what-if game, especially this year. There were so many injuries, so many unique components because of COVID, uh, things of that nature. But, you know, you can play some version of that every year. You know, I, I asked uh, Charles Barkley going into the finals about that element, and, and he was the first to bring up, like, uh, you know, are, are the Raptors? you know, fake champions from a couple of years ago because there was no Duran, no Clay Thompson. Um, it's just not fair to the champ. And I think the Bucks, if they do finish the job, have done it in impressive enough fashion that it's going to wipe out most of that noise because the grit to be down to, to Brooklyn, end up winning in seven, you know, lose that first game against Atlanta, come back and, and win the last two without Giannis, which shows that certainly they're, they're a very good team beyond him. Um, they are showing the kind of mental toughness that they didn't show in years past. You know, we've seen the different slip-ups they've had, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the Toronto series where they go up to nothing and then get unofficially swept. So they've been down this road before, and they are showing, you know, an ability after being down 2-0. It's not easy to keep competing and do what they've done, but, but they're right here, and, and they have a, a shot of finishing this thing. Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and Samer next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. All right, so why don't we talk about the Olympics? Because the Tokyo Olympics are getting underway this week. A year late, no spectators, and Tokyo itself is currently in a, quote, state of emergency over rising COVID cases. But the games are still happening. Beginning on Wednesday and running all the way through August 8th, nearly all of our athletes have already arrived halfway around the world, including the most famous one of all, Simone Biles. And she tweeted a pic from the Olympic Village this morning, which honestly was a relief to see because yesterday news broke that a member of the U.S. gymnastics team had tested positive on arrival, and that was the first American Olympian to pop positive in Japan. Now we know who it was. We've had the report all morning long. At that time, we were not sure. 
And the concern was that it was Biles. Now, let's not get this twisted. Let's be very, very clear about this. A positive for anybody, athlete or non-athlete, athlete, star athlete, gold medalist, alternate athlete, anybody, a positive test is not a good thing. Not a good thing. But, okay, let me just be so clear about that. Not a good thing. But don't you think it would be a little disingenuous to think that folks were not slamming the panic button when they heard a U.S. gymnast swabbed positive? She is an enormous star. A huge reason for people to tune in worldwide. So there was concern. So we exhale for a moment and uh, we still have very much have concern for those who do test positive, but we know that it's not Biles. For instance, 17-year-old American tennis star Coco Goff also tested positive over the weekend and had to pull out of the games. So this is going to happen. We know it's going to happen. There are going to be crushing disappointments. Anything that happens right now is not a surprise. It's still a very bizarre time. It's still a very dangerous time. People who are fully vaccinated are testing positive. We know this. We expect this. There are going to be unavoidable things happening at the Olympics and things that are familiar, things that are inevitable. It's a massive part of why these games are going to be such an enormous challenge to pull off. As an example, inevitable. As an example, I mean, I don't care what's going on, whether or not there's a global pandemic. What are certain things that you can expect in every Olympiad? You can expect to see thousands of people traveling from around the world and then interacting in close proximity to one another. And by interacting in close proximity to one another, I mean getting after it with one another. And by getting after it with one another, I mean having sex with one another. This is not really safe in a pandemic. It's not the safest thing anyway, but really not in a pandemic. But are these things really avoidable? Can we really expect them to be that responsible? Some people, I'm sure. But I think we all know the deal of the Olympic Village and what goes down. It's no secret what goes down there. At this point, it's almost cliche to bring up what happens in the Olympic Village. You know what happens in the Olympic Village? Olympians get nice with each other. These are young people in peak physical condition. Like, let's face it, all right? Incredible physical condition. Young people slammed together under huge amounts of stress, trapped together in college dorm-like conditions, in a temporary environment with lots of opportunity. And then they're going to bust out of there in a few weeks. The, the math is not that hard. It's a pretty simple equation. What's going to happen in an environment like that? Wrestling. And I don't just mean Greco-Roman either. Right. So Olympic organizers know this. This is why they've got the poor ready on the cold water. This is why they've got the fire hoses out. They're trying to pour cold water on the whole situation. It's not the worst idea either, by the way. You know what they're trying to do? You know how they're trying to go about preventing, and they're not trying to pry people off each other. They're trying to make sure that people don't get near each other to begin with. How about this? They're trying to limit physical interaction between athletes. That's like their top priority right now. First, it was a recommendation that athletes not even exchange hugs or high fives or handshakes. Like, you know what? If they don't fist bump each other, maybe they won't get nice. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Don't touch each other at all. Don't hug each other. Don't shake each other's hands. Don't high five each other. Don't fist bump each other. Oh, and also one more thing. We are not going to give out the absurd number of rubbers that we have in years past. Nope. This year, we're only giving out 160,000. You heard that right. 
That's actually a major reduction. Five years ago in Rio, 450,000 were given out. 25,000 of them to Alvin DeLauro. Dude, dude, no, no. 450. The athletes. Okay, so not only are they not giving them out, they're making them more scarce. They're actually telling them, don't use them. Here, you can have this. Don't use it. That's not what it's for. We want you to bring them home to promote safe sex awareness. Here, we are promoting no sex awareness. Home, safe sex awareness. So there's 160,000 condoms. Just don't use even one of them here. Because that will totally happen. Yeah, there's a couple of bulletproof strategies. And by bulletproof, I mean absolutely doomed ideas that nobody ever will take seriously. Don't shake each other's hands and don't use those condoms. Next up, a ban on the sale of alcohol at any Olympic venue. Well, we know what alcohol does. We know how alcohol kind of reduces inhibition. It may help. Except I'm not sure these athletes are the type of people who need to rely on liquid courage to get the job done. However, some of the best parts of this, the Olympians have been showing up over the past few days, and they have been surprised to find yet another anti-sex strategy. Their beds. Incredibly, the beds are made out of cardboard. You heard that right. The IOC has placed 18,000 beds made of cardboard in the Olympic Village. World-class athletes. How many times have we heard the importance of rest and recovery for athletes? World-class athletes at the apex of their careers, facing the most daunting mental and physical challenge of their lifetimes, are going to spend the next three weeks sleeping on cardboard boxes. And the reason this is a big, hot debate this morning. Friday, American track and field star and 2016 silver medalist Paul Chalimo tweeted, quote, Beds to be installed in Tokyo Olympic Village will be made of cardboard. This is aimed at avoiding intimacy among athletes. Beds will be able to withstand the weight of a single person to avoid situations beyond sports. End quote. An amazing tweet. So they'll only bear the weight of a single person. Therefore, there's no chance of sex. Unless the obvious. So the narrative has only picked up more steam. More and more athletes are arriving and they're finding their cardboard cots in their rooms. I don't know if they have cardboard bunk beds or not. Sounds like it's too dumb of a strategy to be true. But it is. Like, that is a strategy. According to the New York Times, plans to use the 100% recyclable beds. That's something I've never heard before. A recyclable bed. We're already in place and announced before the pandemic even started. And the Japanese company that makes them Airweave has now said that their cardboard beds are actually stronger than the ones made out of wood or steel. All right, that sounds like a bold claim to me. I don't know. Wood and steel sound stronger than cardboard. But what do I know? Point taken. The beds will work for sex, apparently. Just don't have any. But that was seemingly confirmed by a tweet from an Irish gymnast who basically debunked the entire anti-sex bed claim single-handedly. In today's episode of Fake News at the Olympic Games, the beds are meant to be anti-sex. They're made out of cardboard, yes, but apparently they're meant to break at any sudden movements. It's fake. Fake news. Fake news. My man's jumping up and down on that cardboard. Fake news. So I guess nobody needs to worry about the Olympians and their ability to engage in extracurriculars in Tokyo. They just are not supposed to be doing it. They can. They will. And I don't know how you fight that, honestly. I mean, I understand why you want to fight that. I understand what the concern is. I really, really do. I'm just being very realistic here. But that's not going to stop the Olympic organizers from doing what they can over the next three weeks because this completely strange edition of the Games, fighting the inevitable is basically their main job. So just so I can get this straight, 
so everybody understands this. Athletes, one, cannot get down. Everybody get down. So you're taking their sex. You're taking their alcohol. You're taking their condoms. Well, you're giving them condoms, but telling them they can't use them. All right. The hell are they even going for then? If they can't drink and they can't get down and they can't use condoms and you're making them lie down on cardboard, the hell are they there for? Love of country? Competitive ambition? Showing up for the one thing they've trained for their entire life? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but do this for me. Save your where can I get one of those fancy beds signed IRA tweets. Save your I love my Casper mattress box signed IRA tweets. Oh, and way to take a stand on sex, IOC. Only 160,000 condoms. The guy's got to pass out the condoms to the athlete. He's like, hey, don't use them. Those are suvies. Bring them home as souvenirs. Let me tell you something. I got an idea for you. You want some help? You want some advice? You want an idea that will work. Because I don't think any of these ideas are going to work. You don't want athletes to engage. You don't want athletes to use those condoms. You know what you should do? You should put ink in the rubber packages. You know, they'd work like those clothing security tags at the department stores. You know, at the airport, security has one of those tools to disarm when you get on the plane and you leave. If they open it too early. Be like, hey, yo, where are you from? I don't even care. What sport are you competing in? Still don't care. What's your name? Couldn't care less. Yo, what's up? Hey, baby. What do you say you and I just give me one minute here? All right, this is the kind of thing that's going to get me in trouble with the suits. This is going to get me in a little bit of trouble, but you know what? I'm just going to do it anyway. And I don't mean the Olympian. I mean Van Smack. What do you say you and I spend a little time on that cardboard box? What do you say you and I come here and do what we came to do? You got a box cutter? Let me borrow that thing. That's a cardboard box. You're you. I'm me. What do you give me one minute to get this thing open? And what do you say we BAM! Blue dye all over everything. Yeah, that'll kill the mood. Bunch of horny athletes walking around the Olympic Village clowning each other because they got blue ink all over themselves. Yeah, more like Smurf Village. I'm here to help. I don't know why the IOC doesn't check in with me. Wow, what a mess. I mean, this is such a serious deal. Why? I don't know. I I, I don't want to have this conversation, but... You know what you should do? Instead of handing out condoms and saying, don't use these, like, why not just give them liquor and say, don't drink this? You know what you should do? You should go old school with it. You should have made a half a million chastity belts and handed those out. But that would work better. I I love this notion also, and I'm really late, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to give them cardboard boxes. I don't know. I don't want to get into what people are into. It just seems to me over the course of time, there's probably been a lot of sex in a lot of places that weren't beds. I don't think the cardboard's going to be a deterrent. I just don't. Asphalt, concrete, dirt, 
Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business and be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak to a Dell Technologies advisor today. Solomon Kinley is my guest. Solomon, great to have you on. How are you? I'm good. What about you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for asking. So let me ask you, we are less than a month away from that first preseason game. The start of training camp is even closer than that. How are you feeling right about now? And are you looking forward to camp or are you trying to enjoy the last few days of summer? Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to camp. I'm ready to get it started, man. You know, been been away from football, putting on the pads and pretty much being away from my team for a while. So, you know, that's the biggest thing, really get back with my guys, you know, just collaborate with them and, you know, get back on the field and do what we love to do. All right, so how different does life feel right about now compared to last year when you were getting ready for your first NFL season? Does it feel a little different because obviously you've got that year of experience under your belt? How does it feel now compared to last year? Honestly, honestly, there's more pressure on me this year because, you know, you always want to be better than the first year. You know, year two is a... I wanted to be one of my, my better years. I want to play better than I did last year. So um, I just want to come in, you know, like I said, be better than year one. Show what more I can do. Show us more to my ceiling. Not only just play how I played last year. Saul McKinley is joining us. All right, so you've been a part of the turnaround in Miami. It's a team that won five games the year before you arrived, and then you won 10 games last year. How valuable was last season, and then how do you build on that success? Um, the, the thing is, we, we came together and we know what we had to do as a team. You know, um, I love my brothers over there. We really appreciate our coaching staff and uh, all the hard work that everybody put in. And, um, you know, once you do that, anything can turn around, no matter what team you play for, who you're playing with or who's the coach. So, you know, when everybody buying in and everybody want to win, and you have the fun doing it, you get the results that you want. All right, so that's interesting. You were talking about the guys that you play alongside and guys buying in, and it's not necessarily about the coach, but the coach obviously has a lot to do with the buy-in. I've got so much respect for Brian Flores and how he handles himself and his team, and that's just me on the outside looking in. What's he been like to play for, and what's it like being on the inside of that? Um, He's a great coach. He's a great. Not only is he a great coach, he's a great person. You know, um, he genuinely wants you to get better, and he genuinely cares about football, and he genuinely cares about the Miami Dolphins. So that's a person that you want to have around, and that's a person that you want to be a coach. All right, Solomon. So I like I like to talk to offensive linemen because I find you guys generally really interesting, and I keep saying the same thing, but I find it interesting because I think the position is really interesting. Like it's a really technical position, and there's so much to it, but you guys don't always get a lot of attention. Your story is even better. For instance, when you were five, you wanted to play football, but you were too big, so your yeah. mom enrolled you in swimming lessons. Is that yeah. really true? And then what were the early days of swimming like? See, to be honest, I'm really a quarterback, but I just play offensive line on my free time. <laughs> you know, course, so man. I'm really a quarterback. I just play offensive line on my free time, you know, just to have a little fun. I got I'm you. I'm really a quarterback. I got you. But, um, no, man, it was just, you know, like I said, back in the day when my mom had to go to work, um, she's going to get me for saying this. She tell us she can't go outside, but she used to be at work like 30 minutes away from the house. So we used to leave and go sneak to the pool. And, like, I see my older brothers and my older siblings and cousins doing, like, being a lifeguard coach or even on a swim team and everything. So I was like, I love the water. I love being in the water, so why not just join the swim team so my mom can really say you can go to the pool every day. Actually, that's what it came down to. I, we joined the swim team because we was like, if we get on the swim team, mom's going to be like, okay, we're doing something good so she can let us out the house. So eventually she was like, okay, she was down with it. Then we kept going to the pool and um, – got on the swim team, started competing. And uh, like you said, it was just crazy. I remember times getting in the pool and uh, people would be like, what is he about to do? Is he somebody's brother? Are you about to help somebody at the pool? And I promise you, almost every time, it was a few ta- It was a few times that a few people beat me, but I got in the water and I really showed them, like, I belong in the water. This is, yeah. 
Solomon Kenley, I want to be very clear about what you just said because that's another one of my favorite parts of this story. Like when you found your way, you worked your way onto the swim team, and then all of a sudden there were people going, hey, yo, is that the lifeguard or is that a dad? (laughs) And you were like still a young kid, and then you got in the water and you were smoking everybody in the race group. How did it feel to be getting over like that and beating all these people after they doubted you and thought you were a dad or a lifeguard? I mean, that's what that was built me to the man I am today, you know. Growing up at a young age, you know, my mom and my dad and my family, they, my family, they built us to have a, a, a tough skin. So, you know, I pretty much went through that during that young age, and it built me who I am right now. So no matter the obstacles, when it gets hard or when it gets easy, I always know that no matter what nobody say, it always goes on with what, what's going on in my head and what I can do. Don't worry about what nobody else says. Just go out there and do it. So that's how I am built today, and that's how I'm going to be forever. Saul McKinley joining us. All right, so you become a lifeguard in the summer, but there's a story that when you were a freshman at Georgia, Kirby Smart had the guys over to his house on a lake, and guys were playing around and hanging onto a float attached to a boat. One of your teammates who couldn't swim accidentally let go of the float, and then the boat drove away. What happened next? Oh, man, that was one of the, that's a funny story um, because – Actually, Brian Herrien, he was actually swimming. He was doing his thing. He was having fun. But I, honestly, I don't think he know how to swim. And um, the thing was, he seen everybody else having fun. So he was like, I can't not be a part of this. So we put him on a life jacket. We got on the boat. And um, <laughs> he got on, like, the back of the little inner tube that was connected to the boat, you know, like surfing on the back of a thing. And accidentally, he let go. And um, he was just in the middle of the lake. And Coach Smart kind of took a big old U-turn to kind of come get him, and I see him panicking, and I had to jump in. I had to go in there and get him. To be honest, you guys, he was never under the water. He was always on top of the water, but, you know, he was just panicking because he was in a big old lake of water. Then Coach Smart taking a big old U-turn to come get him. Not only that, he don't know how to swim, so I feel him. I don't know, dude. That doesn't sound very funny at all. That sounds scary, man. Like <laughs> I understand to your we point, laugh, Solomon. We laugh his... about it every day now. We laugh about it every okay, day. Okay, it's now. funny every now. We talk about it. It's funny now. It. You, yeah, but you, because you were a lifeguard, and even though he couldn't swim and his head was above water, you never panicked, right? Like, you had that situation under control. Oh, yeah, for sure. I never panicked because I know I went through my training, and uh, that's what that's how it used to come about. And on, another reason why I wasn't really panicking uh, is because he had on a life jacket. If he didn't have on a life jacket, he was going on the water. Then it got serious. But he was on top of the water the whole time. So, I got it. All right, so really quickly, you're partnered with the Progressive Firefighters to offer a free, a free seven-week swim and water safety program in Miami. What are you wanting the young kids to take away from that program? Um. Yeah, I want kids to learn how to swim because you never know what come down to with all this, the the weather in Florida, you know, the floods, the hurricanes, and uh, all this type of stuff. You never know when you gotta gotta know how to swim. You never know what the, what situation you ever be caught put in in the everyday life. So that's a, that's one of the major things. You know, learning how to swim, you can save your life, not only save your life, save other loved ones' lives. So you know, that's one of my biggest things right there. But also. It's more into swimming and learning in that program. It's like they teach you CPR, they teach you Medicaid, they teach you all types of stuff to, you know, better on your life and you have something that other people don't have. So it makes you, and it also makes you different because 95% of my team I ever played on, they, know, they don't know how to swim. And then they see me get in the pool, they be like, wow, this crazy game teach me how to swim. So, you know, you got you to gotta mark on somebody else that nobody else has. Hmm, good for you. Solomon Kenley joining us. One last thought. When you were looking back, as you look back on your time at Georgia, you told a great story also to The Athletic about playing at Notre Dame. As a redshirt freshman, you had injured your ankle in full camp, or fall camp. You had not played yet, but suddenly in the second half, Coach Pittman is like, Solomon, Solomon, you're up. And you're looking around like, who is Solomon? What Solomon is he talking to? What Solomon like, are you talking what, about? Yeah, what happened, man? It was crazy because um, throughout the whole season, like I said, I had a really good camp. I had a really, really, really good camp, and uh, I think like week two before, two weeks before the uh, camp even started, I got stepped on by one of my running backs, and um, kind of took me down here from there. So I didn't start the first game of the season because they wanted me to rest. I think we played um, some other team, so I didn't play that first game. And um, the next game came about was uh, Notre Dame, and Coach Pittman. Like we used to always have this little 
meeting before the game that night. And um, he told me in front of the whole team, he said, Solomon, you're going to get in the game. Solomon, you're going to play a lot. Solomon, be ready. That night, I was like, okay, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. Okay, let's go, baby. I'm pumped up, ready to go. I wasn't really thinking about it too much because, like I said, it's the night before the game. It's not the day of the game. So then I get inside the stadium. I see Notre Dame Stadium. I get, like, I see all the fans, and I see, I'm like, wow, it really is what it, everybody said. It's one of the best historical stadiums in the world ever in college football. And I'm like, whoa, it's crazy. So I'm on the sideline. I'm nervous because, yeah, I'm ready to play because my ankle is almost like 100%. Yeah, I know my plays, and yeah, I'm ready. It's not that. It's that, like, I'm on the field, and I see the fans going crazy. I see my teammates play how I've never seen them play before because they're playing against Notre Dame. And um, I'm on the sideline. I think, like, the second drive come up. He says, Solomon, strap your helmet on. You're going in next play. I turn around, like, looking at the stadium, like, is there another Solomon back there? He's talking about, I'm talking to you, Solomon. Let's go, baby. You get you're in the game. Got in the game, and I got like you know, adapted to my uh, adapted to the uh, plays and adapted to the uh, atmosphere of the game, and it was on. It was on from there. It was all adrenaline at that point. I, I love you looking around like, yo, I know you're not talking to this Solomon, man. Must be that <laughs> like, uh, that almost, other almost, Solomon. Like my best friend, my best friend on the team, like he was like. Did you really do that? Did you really turn around and look for somebody else as he as when he was calling your name? Did Did you really turn around and look for the other Solomon Kinley <laughs> on the team? He's the best. I promise I did. <laughs> it was the second round of the shingles vaccination. That was interesting. I've already gotten my COVID vaccinations, both of them, but I had only done the first round of the shingles vaccination. Like, that was, there was this whole thing. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I badly want to get to Colin Morikawa. But one day, Janet said to me, you know, there's some people getting shingles. People we know, friends. I'm like, wait, what? Like, we're so concerned about COVID, COVID, COVID. And Janet said, yeah, yeah, so-and-so got it. And so-and-so got it. And so-and-so has it in her eye. And it's not a good thing. I'm like, damn, that's not a good thing. So I go to the drugstore, and I let them hammer that spike into me. And you you know it when you get that spike, all right? Like the COVID vaccination, the first time I got that, I didn't even feel it. And they're like, see you later. Here's your card. I'm like, wait, you did it? And the woman said, yes, I did it. Keep moving, sir. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going to go get back in line and get it again just to make sure. No, sir, that's not how that works. You're good. Trust me. The needle went in. And Janet said, didn't you look? I'm like, nah, I was just kind of looking around the room to see who was there. So it didn't feel a thing. The shingles vaccination is worse. Like that thing goes in and you feel it. And it's like, imagine it, it's like a flu shot. Like you feel the flu shot. Like you feel the needle and then you feel the substance of the needle going in. It, you feel the, you feel the medicine, right? So anyway, they give you like, I don't know, two weeks to six months. And I've been stringing this thing out. Like I, I got, I put it off till like the very last week before if you don't get the second one done, you've got to start over and do them both again. So I go in there yesterday and the pharmacist is like, she's all, she all right. She all right. Not real happy to see me. And she's like, do you have an appointment, sir? I'm like, I certainly do, ma'am. She sits me down at her little table Hammers that spike into me. Bam! Blood everywhere. And she's startled like, oh, that's never happened. I'm like, hmm. Did you get it all in? I actually said that to her. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I got it in. It's in. She's like, that's very unusual. And then she literally went to the, it generally only happens and almost never, but only happens with our more muscular clients. I'm like, oh, no, you did not. You did not just say that. What's next? Uh, sorry about all that blood. You're pretty handsome. What are you doing tonight? Come on, man. So I got that spike yesterday, so I'm good. I think I'm good. Got a little dead arm for a couple hours, but it's all good. There's your update. 1-800-636-8686. You like the way I've been dropping these medical updates on you? Like on Friday when I admitted that I missed a couple of days of work because I had double hernia surgery. 
Like that kind of came out of nowhere, right? Double hernia. I don't know what was more frustrating to me. Me getting the ultrasound, which I'd never had before. Or that gal hammering the spike into me yesterday, me bleeding all over the floor. Or or the one who did the ultrasound saying, yeah, I don't see anything. Really? Really? Because I think I'm pregnant. What do you mean you don't see anything? And that, nope, 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 nope. Don't see any evidence of a hernia. Really? I think I got twins. I, th- I think literally I have twins. You can't see anything. You can't see anything with that wand? Because my wife saw the twins from across the room. What do you mean you can't see anything? What, TMI? You wanted to know, clones. Y'all just kept, you, you left me no choice. Like, normally I ignore everything. But after the 5,000th bo- botched Botox tweet, I had to come clean and say exactly what happened. It was not botched Botox. It was a, let me think how they put this, a bilateral inguinal surgery. Short for, hey, yo, Yo, pops, you got a couple hernias. We got to go in there and fix that. Sincerely, hashtag mesh. Anyway, now you know. 1-800-636-8686. That number is toll free. Hit me up. Why don't we check some reaction right quick? Hey, Jim, Devin Booker passed on that reporter's stupid question regarding CP3's feelings a lot more aggressively than Rafa did that loser winner gal. What, you mean this? Hi. Um, Hi. Um, Nadal, congratulations on your win. And I would like to know how do you feel after the game and if you're ready to give it another try. I lost, by the way. Yeah, I know. But it's, and, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a win anyway. No. No. What an amazing moment that is. It's a win anyway? How? Mm. You imagine if a reporter had said to Devin Booker, hi. Hi. A- after the ball was ripped from him. Hi. Hi. How do you feel about your big win? Mm. Jason Texas sent that war Giannis throwing the Larry O across Lake Michigan on war the nut puncher. At SA Sports Hawk tweets, Rome, if I were Giannis... My hotel alias would be a Dadonis. Look at, look at, he looks like a Dadonis. He looks like, he looks beautiful. He looks in shape. That is so good. He signed it, Oscar de la Hoya. He looks like a Dadonis. Giannis should do that. Excuse me, sir, your name? A Dadonis. Dadonis. He looks like a Dadonis. He looks like a Dadonis. Amazing back in the day. Oscar would come on the program, man, and he was just so smooth. He is so smooth when he came on the show. I mean, so smooth. And so smooth in the ring. There's nothing very smooth about, he looks like a Dadonis. He looks like a Dadonis. Jimmers, taking three finals losses in a row feels like taking repeated nut shots. Signed, The Nut Puncher, Cliff's evil brother. Like, man, it's amazing how that pendulum swings back, right? The narrative. They're up 2-0, and everybody's talking about, man, this is so great. Suddenly, everybody forgot that he was the nut puncher. Suddenly, he's Magic Johnson, Bob Cousy, like like every point guard, John Stockton, every point guard, Allen Iverson, like all the greatest... Guards ever rolled into one. And now they're down three games to two and he's back to being the nut puncher. Like, what is it? The the most deserving, unlucky player ever or the nut puncher? Ryan in Sacktown. It generally only happens to our muscular clients too. Regards, roid rage. You know me, I'm just... just own it like it's fine and I said that to her when she hit me with that and it started to bleed out she's like oh, are you all right are you all right I'm like yes yes it's nothing it's fine 
It's fine. It's cool. It's good. And I try to lighten the load. I try to make a few jokes like, yeah, it's fine. That's why I said, like, did you get it in there? Because I'm sporting blood. But what you don't want to do is say, you know, it only happens to our muscular clients. I mean, what I really should have hit her with was, you know, I was here thinking I was getting a shingles vaccination. I didn't know that I was here to donate blood. Do I get a shirt and a cookie? Oh, she had, I mean, of course she was embarrassed. Especially with that attitude prior. Anyway, all's well that ends well. I did not bleed out. I didn't hit, I didn't hit the ground. She put me on the ground. I should have, man. I should have been rolling around convulsing. Uh, uh, you know that whole thing like my, my generally my response is that the side effects are bad because that's the other thing and then then you have these side effects potentially and they say the second time you get it it's worse than the first time the first time I didn't really have any side effects except for a dead arm for about two or three hours but then you start wondering are the side effects and my point is Getting the thing is not nearly as bad as getting the side effects. I would much rather deal with the side effects for a day or two than the thing. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I don't want shingles of the eye or shingles of the ass or shingles of any kind of shingles at all. The only shingles I want are on the roof of my house. However, if I'd been rolling around on the ground. See, now now this super awkward thing is going to be when I've got to go back into that pharmacy because that's where we do all our business. And I love these people. Like, they're all great. I always have a good experience. Like, Nectar. Remember when I went in on them because that intern hung me out to dry for like 20 minutes when I wanted to buy something that was already made? They finally found me on Instagram like, Dear Jim Rome, we understand you like our product. We are very, very sorry that you had such a poor experience. Please come back in and let us make it right. I'm like, that's how you handle that. That's good. That's good because I do like your product, and I do like the proximity. I just didn't like that bad attitude, zit-faced 14-year-old you had working there that just was ignoring me like, hey, hey, old man, I'll get to you. I'll get to you when I get to you, old man. Why don't you, why don't you just walk a few doors over and get yourself a shingle shot and then come back, old man, and then maybe I will get to you. <laughs> you, oh, you like that, Alvy? Did I get a laugh out of that? Good night now!